So I, I guess we'll just sort of roll from there. Um, hi, this is Scott. This is uh, this is just a little preamble segment we're going to put together before the, the main show. And the main show is the last recording we have with Mac. And um, I, I sat on it for a long time for a bunch of reasons. First, the site moved, then I moved, and then... Mac just sort of gave us a bit of news that we'd have to start recording without him, uh, probably long term. And uh, I just sort of let it veg there because I didn't want to deal with it. And now I just have this recording and I'm going to uh, and it's going to go up as is. But we're just going to record a little thing at the start to say that, um, yeah, um, Michael was a great guy. Um, I think I don't remember my job interview with him because everyone was in there and everyone was pelting me with a bunch of things, but I which rem- is, which is tradition as, yeah. as is tradition. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember when I put together the, my first column and then I, uh, you know, I shipped it off to him cause he was the guy who had to stamp me cause it was my first time. And so that meant the chief had to do it and he looked it over or he emailed me back and he said, he he told me that I got the job because I was a loudmouth in chat, and <laughs> that wasn't in the column. It was really dry. Uh, I was really nervous about how much of myself to put into it at the start. I was worried about how much I should, you know, riff on the news in the actual body of it. I was, you know, again, I was coming at it from a university writer where you aren't yourself ever. And he said, no, be that guy from chat. And he was always encouraging us to be ourselves, I think, um, as writers and as uh, members of the site. Mm-hmm. And that's that's odd, because in a magazine like us, there's a strong push to have a house style and a strong push to have, you know, a unified tone and a definite style guide. And he was always willing to encourage us to uh, follow passion wherever it went and put a lot of ourselves out there. And that's why you get staff that stick around so long. Mm. Now we're all crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Trent? Um, yeah. Uh, so, mm, I first met Mac uh, back in 2011. And uh, I was actually a fairly recent graduate from university. I was uh, working in my field, in the field of business, but I was still writing pretty passionately on a regular basis. Uh, And by serendipity, Mac ran into an opinion piece that I had written on this uh, blog that doesn't even exist today. (laughs) And he got a hold of me over Twitter, of all places, and said, "Uh, you, you really like RPGs. And I said... Yeah, I do, and I'm very argumentative about it. And he said, that's exactly what I'm looking for right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, and he said, I want you to consider uh, writing about something, uh, whether it's about JRPGs or uh, you know whatever you're playing right now, uh, and just like something stuck in your craw. I remember him saying that exact phrase uh, and just focusing on why that bothers you. And I wrote this um, editorial, which is still on the archive site, uh, about uh, Final Fantasy II and how underrated it is. 
<laughs> because I this. that that was the hill that I wanted to die on in 2011. Uh. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it got, uh, I, I just remember it did really well. Uh, it, it got like 87 comments, which was rare at the time for the site. So the community was... Well, uh, uh, except... Except you put a you posted in something with Final Fantasy in the title, and that always yeah. goes that, <laughs> yeah. that goes yeah. nuts and nothing else, right? Yeah, people have opinions on Final Fantasy, uh, and uh, Mac just said this would be the start of a beautiful relationship, and that's exactly what it was. Uh, I had uh, almost freedom to write whatever I wanted, as long as it was uh, tangentially related to RPGs, just because he wanted to see what I had to say. Uh, and I started as, uh, I guess an okayish, uh, opinion writer and under Max encouragement and his steady hand and his ability to write blurbs and which I hate doing <laughs> and I've hated doing since I started writing for the site. I can't, I can't stand the blurbs that we put on the index. Oh uh, God. <laughs> I, I think one time I tried to submit a blurb that was just the word blurb 12 times in a row. <sighs> yeah, you got well, caught. Uh, I believe there was a semicolon after the fourth blurb, so they would know it was me. And and people are so specific about like what a blurb needs to be. It can't uh, end with a question mark. It has to be at least two statements. It should be like three lines. Like uh, formatting was just as important as saying something witty that would engage readers to read whatever you scribbled for five hours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then we all started and I to hated <laughs> By the time I'm done uh, bitching about something, I do not have the mental ability Dude, left. left. I've, I've squeezed every ounce of creativity from my brain, and you have that. And Mac would be the guy who'd be like, uh, let me spit some things out at you. <laughs> and I would always pick his blurb, and I said, I'm going to give you creative credit for this somehow. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I remember back in 2012, he gave me, uh, a bi-weekly column, yeah. uh, which at the time was called Currents. You guys remember Currents? Yeah. I totally remember Currents. Yeah. Currents, uh, the column that almost always was. That almost always was. Uh, and I think part of the challenge was Currents was, uh, ostensibly a news feature in a way. Yeah. Um, it was topical. It was always about what was happening at that exact moment. Um, if whoever was writing it was actually paying attention to the moment, <laughs> that's not shade. I'm not throwing shade at anyone. Yeah. Um, it was kind of difficult it, to keep up with, too. That was kind of the worst part. <laughs> it was so hard to keep up with. And, uh, at, well, you'd come up with something time. great, and then you'd post it nine days later, and uh, yeah. Well, and things would change overnight, too. Uh, and I just, I, it was almost like a newsletter that I was writing, but it was opinions within the newsletter, which was kind of weird for me. Um, so I eventually kind of changed that to level grinding. Um, and he was like instrumental in that whole change. And I was really proud of how that turned out for as long as it lasted. Um, and then of course, like we, we've all worked together, uh, developing features. Uh, working on each other's editorials, helping each other with previews, helping each other with reviews. Like, I, I can't count the amount of good people who, who write for the site, who support people who write for the site, um, who support the site itself on, on two hands. Like, we have a lot of great people working for the site, but Mac was the best person working for the site. Um, he was so kind and so, um, warm-hearted 
uh, and so supportive of just doing you, uh, even if you weren't exactly sure what that was going to look like, you know, <laughs> he was just a great guy. And um, I wouldn't have written, you know, dozens of opinion pieces for the site if not for his support, because he he was the first proof on all of my pieces. He helped me shape every single one of those arguments. He, he would challenge me if I didn't end on the right note or if it was lopsided, he would kind of push back. He made me a better opinions writer, but he also made me a better writer. And I wouldn't have written uh, a book. I wouldn't have um, stepped away from video games a little bit to focus just on what I wanted to write. He has supported every pivot, every change, every single thing that I've gone through in my, you know, moonlight career as a writer. And the interviews with people like uh, the, the producers of Silent Hill or the creator of Mega Man, of all people, the, these experiences like attending PAX East and uh, playing games before anyone has the chance to play those games, like those cherished moments I wouldn't have without him without his seal of approval without him pushing me forward and I I was lucky enough that I, I had that conversation with him before he passed I had a chance to really get across how important he was not just for me as my editor-in-chief as my podcast co-host as my friend but how instrumental he was in making me who I was and it, it, it's only sinking in now, like, what a vacuum that leaves. But I know that he wouldn't want me to focus on that. So it's hard. I, it's, it, I, I'm not sure what I can say outside of that. It's, it's hard. It's, and it's different. And it's hard. It's, a, it's definitely a void, I would say. Um, for Michael to have left us, you know, when we had that last episode, what he said to us, you know, I don't think you can do this anymore. And you could hear the strain in his voice. And I just remember I started crying. So it was just like, I knew it was coming. Yeah. And I remember I messaged him and I said, it's, it's gotten bad, isn't it? He goes, yeah. Yeah. He goes, and, he well, said to me that he'd appreciated like just everything I had done for him over the years. And the fact that I was always checking in on him. Because again, I'm a product of, of grief. And, you know, my heart really goes out to Christy right now. It really does. Sorry, Trent. No, I'm I'm sorry for all of us, and it's it's weird because um, I'm I'm just I'm seeing things that remind me of him constantly. Like yeah. today, it was announced that you know Nordic THQ uh, has purchased the rights for Kingdom of Amalur, which means that inevitably there's going to be an HD PS4 Xbox One re-release. Oh, and I think oh myself, it'd be on the Switch. It'd be I on the myself, Switch. It, it would probably be on the Switch too. And I think to myself, play it on the Mac, <laughs> Mac would really appreciate this. This would make him happy, you know? Or, or even, uh, didn't just today, uh, WarioWare came out? Yeah. The, the new one? I had a conversation with him a few weeks uh, before this all went down, where he was saying, um, on a whim, I somehow purchased the new WarioWare, but I'm not mad about it, so I'm not going to return it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a shame because he's not going to be here to to enjoy these things. But oh God, well, I, Christy's going Christy's going to get his pre-orders for the next year and a half. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just think about the fact we have a new dragon quest. Who loved dragon quest? Who's a, who a dragon quest apologist? Well, it, it, to his credit, <laughs> I think he liked the right dragon quest. It's true. You know? He did like the good one. I think but he just, had good taste in, in the dragon quest. I just think um, it's kind of funny. He was a man of culture. He, he was a man of culture. That's right. He was um, so excited. And people excited. make fun of Mac. Uh, they always made fun of both of us for being uh, such huge Final Fantasy apologists, but um, <laughs> what I will say about Mac is that he had the right opinions about Final Fantasy as well. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I'm just yeah. sad because I think about the fact he was so excited for Dragon Quest XI. Like, he was excited yeah. for all the changes that were being made. And he was so vocal about the fact that, you know, he was going to be able to play it on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and how he was going to be able to just take it wherever he wanted to. If he had to go to, you know, a chemo appointment, he's going to be able to have it. And, you know, I think of all these game releases that are coming out, and it's just the fact that, like, he had so much immense, genuine excitement. Mm-hmm. And you look at the fact that these things are now slowly coming out, and it, it kind of it kind of breaks your heart a little bit. Like, when I was reading just the stuff from the Limited Run guys, you know, Mac was one of their first supporters. Um, I just... My heart was just breaking in half for them because, you know, they talked about, like, we just got the rights to Bastion as something we can put out for a limited run. And right. Michael helped them do that. And now Michael doesn't get to enjoy it. Yeah. Or, you know, like, things that finally made it to the Vita regardless of the fact that the Vita was a dead system. Yeah. I mean, he was the champion and- of wanting to see those games appear and be accessible to people. Um, you know, it's why Team Hellhole gets to live on the way that it does. Yeah. And, and, uh, in case people listening um, don't intimately know this about Mac, he has uh, the the largest collection of Vita games, of PSP games. He ha- he was a huge fan of Sony's portables, um, and every time I would mock him about the Vita's inevitable death, um, he would say, "You know what? It has everything I need. It has everything I want, yep. <laughs> and things are still coming out for it." And I couldn't debate him on any of that. Nope. He was right. And um, I think, at the very least, he would be happy that, you know, the Vita, it lives on, right? Yeah, I remember, I'll tell just a quick story. I went to Scotland a couple of years ago, and uh, there were three PSP titles, uh, three PSP RPGs, rather, um, that we didn't get here in North America. And he goes, ah, he goes, you're going to Europe. I said, yeah, why? He goes, do you mind looking for these three titles for me? He goes, I don't, again, if they're too expensive, please don't buy them, whatever. And of course, I'm queen of money is no object to me. So I went to every single gaming store I could find in the UK. Uh, and I'll never forget this because when I went to London, like around the same time, I met up with Alex Fuller, who's now our editor-in-chief, uh, and Alice Walker. And they took me on a tour of London. And I started to find a bunch of those PSP games he had been looking for. So by the end of my trip, I think I came home with all three titles that he was looking for. When he asked me what they cost, I said, I ain't telling you a price. And he goes, why? I'm like, because you're going to be pissed. (laughs) Uh, And he's like, well, I'll give you money. And I was like, no, I don't take people's money. That's just how I am. Um, I found all three titles, but I just remember some of them were just such a bitch to find. And he was like, you didn't have to go do that. And I said, I wanted to. I wanted to make you smile. Like, you know, you don't ask a lot of people. So the fact that you actually outright asked me to do something for you, you know, I was going to take that seriously. Mm. That's just how he was. He didn't want to ask for favors from people. He wasn't really like that. But it was mm. just so funny that of all things he did to me, it was, you're going to, you're going to the UK. Find me these couple things. <laughs> um, 
I remember because I called him and uh, Christy picked up this phone <laughs> of all things. She's like, hello, and I'm like, oh, hi, um, I'm one of Michael's coworkers at RP Gamer. Uh, can I talk to him for a sec? Because I couldn't remember one of the titles. She's just like, why is there a lady calling you? Yeah, it was a little awkward. <laughs> but, you know, I, I miss him. I miss him every day. And for people who don't know, I was his nag. <laughs> I'm very good at being people's nags, but when, uh, when he was in the PR role in particular, uh, I was hired later on from editorials to PR assistant, and that was because my job was to make sure he got shit done. Like, hey, we gotta do this. Do I have to do it? Yes. I don't well, wanna do it. to be fair, Sam, you, your job was to make sure everyone got shit done. So. It's true. <laughs> I, I, I was kind of fantastic at it until, like, you know, my folks died, and then I just kinda couldn't for a while there. I'm hoping to get back in that role, you know, and start poking my fingers a little bit, but, you know, I feel I feel like Alex might chop my fingers off first. <laughs> but no, I, again, keeping Mac in, in check was sometimes difficult because he'd get very excited about things we were doing or things we were plotting. And he'd be like, oh, I want to do this. And I'm like, yeah, but we haven't finished this feature or we haven't finished this thing. <laughs> and he'd be like, but I want to do this now. And I'd be like, Fine, you do whatever oh, yeah. you want. There was a period where we had like a creative boom. And there was, I remember there was one summer we just had like seven features just back to back to back to back. There weren't all the, like the huge, like multi-paged ones. Um, but some of them were just so intensive. And, uh, Mac was like, let's just do fucking whatever. And (laughs) he was like the guy throwing the money in the air and just turning around in a circle. There would be people like harassing each other in IRC. Uh, just like, where is this at? Like, what is happening with this? And again, I was the worst for it. Mm. Because it was me going, hey, this needs to go up because I need this bit. If you don't give me this bit, it ain't going with it. And, like, but I want, like, no. Either I get it today, or it doesn't go in. And again, maybe I'm a bit of a bitch. Maybe I'm a bit of a tight ass. But when it came to the features, I was very proactive, and I tried to make sure that everything was in order. Everything was ready to go the date that I set. And if we were a couple days late, then I was a little more lenient. But Michael would always be like, you know, you don't need to go that crazy. And I'd be like, I do, because I have a type A personality. <laughs> don't we all? Oh, God. Now, like I said, I used to drive him a little crazy, but we always had a very good working relationship. And I appreciate a lot of the opportunities that he gave me. Um, you know, I got to go to two Runs of the Sun events, which is more than most people. Uh, I got to make wonderful publishing connections. I... You know, Run to the Sun was one of my favorite events because Michael and I actually had a lot of similar tastes in things. Uh, and I would bring these mixed CDs that I would make. And they were usually, like, really silly things on it. Like, I introduced him to Prozac, the Canadian band that I'm actually, I love Prozac. That I'm actually going to see on, uh, on Saturday. Hilariously. Really? Yes. Do they have new music? Uh, no, they're doing a retro tour with Aqua. That's amazing. Are, is Aqua going to be there? Aqua is the headliner. Why didn't you lead with that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe we're eulogizing a friend. Oh, <laughs> to be yeah. fair, he'd be like, what the hell is this? And Adrian would have to try to explain to him. It's like, this is like one of Canada's great little secrets. <laughs> right? He'd be like, but I thought they were like, they sound British. And it's like, well, they're kind of a lie. <laughs> yeah. And he'd be like, this is, this is weird and I don't get it, but I'm bopping along anyways. <laughs> or one of the worst things ever was the fact that like, um, anytime we, we were visiting, um, when we visited Exceed, one of the years was they were putting out the Lunar game for PSP. And all he wanted to do was listen to the crappy Victor Ireland theme song from the Sega CD version. 
so he could just yell through the car, Take heed! Oh. And, and Zach was not the best singer. Like, he's not bad. I mean, I'm I'm terrible. I'm terrible. <laughs> but, but Mac and I, like, we'd be doing this at the top of our lungs and Adrian was like, Oh my god, my ears are bleeding. <laughs> like, stop it, you two. I kind of felt for Adrian and Manny in those instances because we liked to sing along to things. Like, when we went to Disney, we, we went to Disneyland because um, I basically whined at them. I said, look, I'm here in California. I'm going to fucking Disney. And they were like, oh, you can go by yourself. Max like, no, no, I've never been. I want to go. So it was myself and Adrian and, and Mac. <laughs> Mac wanted to be at the front of every single ride. Didn't matter what it was. The only one we didn't allow him for was Splash Mountain because Adrian wanted to take a whole video through Splash Mountain for some reason. <laughs> Max like, I got barely wet on that. That kind of sucked. <laughs> I was supposed to get full wet. But in any case, Mac, miss you. We all miss you. The world's a little sadder. It's a little darker. And it's a little less portable. It is a little less portable. On the plus side, grab a Vita game and, you know, think of Matt fondly. Lick a Switch cart. Don't lick a Switch cart. That's gross. Lick a Switch cart in memory of Matt. I'll just keep playing Final Fantasy Tactics and sit there and be miserable. I am not licking a Switch cart, even if we buy a Switch, which means, by the way, I'm going to lose that bet we set at the beginning of the year about... You guys Scott don't have a Switch yet? We still don't. But the oh, worst, you need one. But the worst part is... Team handheld. It's the temptation's coming. We just have to deal with our roommate, who apparently keeps threatening to, if we buy it, take it back. Jerk. But uh, so the switch might actually happen, and then I'm just gonna sit there and be sad as I play it. In any case. All right. So aside from that, this show will keep going forward as best we can on a monthly schedule, and uh, we're we're gonna try and find our new legs and our new dynamic without him. Uh, if you wanted to Steve Cohen, so we will. It's gonna be hard because he was notorious for being the the nice one, and then sometimes the devil's advocate, and usually having to stop you and Trent from having like an opinion war. <laughs> I got to laugh because I would encourage it because I'm a jack. I'm glad that everyone thinks so highly of me. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh come on, dear. I love you so much. I wouldn't do this if I didn't love you. Well, let's be realistic. You and Scott would have your little spats, and they were adorable. I would laugh, and Mac would pull back on track unless it was me causing the fight because I'm also good at those and then anyway Scott alright so um, yeah so here, here's the last episode with Mac's uh, voice on it I'm glad he had most of his voice back for the recording but um, yeah, catch, catch, catch you later on
Welcome to the Active Topical Banter Show RP Gamers Editorial Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Walker, and joining me on the panel are my co-hosts... I'm Sam Walker, and I'm still here, baby. I'm Mac. How's it going? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I'm Trent, and um, I'm here when I'm not sleeping. Life of having a baby, am I right, bro? The life of, yeah, he's he's gonna be a year in, geez, a few weeks now. He he's, oh. he, he was born on four twenty, so it's pretty easy to remember his birthday. Jeez, he's getting what huge. day? April twentieth. <laughs> That's my wife's birthday. Really? Aww. Yeah. Lol, blaze it. Yep. <laughs> so I'll remember that too. <laughs> oh, perfect. All right. So, a uh, quick pick a bit of uh, housekeeping, I guess, is that I totally deleted the project file from the last episode. <laughs> we had a whole one recorded. It was the one we promised you about anime titties, and I was cleaning house in my project files and nuked that one with everything else. And so, whoops! <laughs> so you'll get that one another yeah. time. We will revisit it, mostly because it does pair with this one, which we're going to talk about now, I guess, because that's all I had to say. It's like, <laughs> I, I done goofed, that's why we missed a month, that's why you're not getting the thing I promised. I was going to ask if that was an April Fool's thing, but or a few days after that, yeah, as of this recording. <laughs> yeah, no. So, yeah, no, that that's me screwing up. And so our topic for tonight is, I guess, a weird sort of flip side to immature content, which is mature subject. I called it mature subject matter because I guess, um, I don't know, I, I want to tackle a couple of related ideas, which is that first off, um, we're so we're going to talk about uh, violence and like really harsh ideas. So if you get upset by really frank discussions of, you know, abuse or, you know, rapey stuff. Just, we're, we're going to go there. Sorry. Content warning achieved. So, yeah. I'm, I'm going to open up by saying games like murder. Murder is compulsory when you're making games. What's up with that? Well, not every game can be Harvest Moon. You gotta get experience points somehow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, you can only bash yourself over the head so many times, right? And I, if we're being fair, some things deserve the murdering, right? Oh, well, I mean, if they can construct a narrative where murder is fine without necessarily wandering into something equally icky, yeah, no, no, it's like, yeah, no, ma mash the zombies in the face as much as you want. We could go full on into Undertale if you need to. Oh, I mean, Undertale... Undertale is really good about saying that, but it's sort of this... It's that same... It's almost the same territory as Spec Ops, where it's like, Ha ha ha, look at you! We made you do the thing, so you'd feel bad about doing the thing we made you do. Okay, can we talk about that for a second? Oh, yeah. I remember everyone just going out of their way to tell me how spectacular Spec Ops is. And I'm not saying that the writing is bad in that game, but the only reason why I was surprised at how good that twist was is because it felt like a budget game the entire time. It was the same phenomenon as me playing Deadly Premonition and being surprised when the plot did good things. Yeah. I thought <laughs> I, I thought I was playing a $30 experience, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, no. Well, Spec Ops was... 
like Spec Ops The Line was like the 11th game in the Spec Ops series, all of which had been the $20 like Fry's Computer Store bargain bin, not Rainbow Six game. So, yeah. so them showing up and saying, hey, hey, look at that. Think about it. You gotta give them their cleverness where it's due. I mean, it's it's an interesting discussion, I mean, of when you think about it, mental illness, but it's not done in a way where, you know, you look at it and go, mental illness! Well, no, it's it's not mental illness. <laughs> like, I, I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say that, yeah, mental illness is on, is on the mature subject matter list, but that is not, that's not mental illness. That well, is... Well, it PTSD? No, 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 it's video game bullshit. It is the writer's... <laughs> it is the writer's... I tried, folks! No, it's the writer's dicking with your with the player with the with the player it's writers dicking with the player to make a point like if you want to talk about mental illness we should talk about like depression quest or senua's sacrifice which are actually directly about, about mental illness this is just using the like it's spec ops the lines mental illness is a sanity meter yeah yeah right Speaking of sanity meters, I wish more games had that. The no, because only... because one game did it right, and well, anyone else isn't gonna do it right. So let what me game die. are you thinking of? Actually, by the way, oh, please, I'm thinking of Eternal a different one. Darkness, yeah, like I'm sorry. There's one game that did sanity meter right. What could I be talking about? The one yeah. video game hipsters like me wank all over for decades. <laughs> See, I own it. I own it. I'm a video game hipster. I love Planescape Torment and and Eternal Darkness. Although uh, the the vampire game is not as because I was actually sense. going to reference Shadow Hearts, and I think Shadow Hearts does sanity in a really great way. Basically, when it dips, once you do, I could do a turn. You lose sanity points. Well, then you just go batshit at the like after you're in the negatives. Well, that's it. And that you works. Batshit. That's not mental illness. No, that's I know. video game. I know. I wasn't going for mental illness in this case. I was like sanity, shadow hearts. I got my reference in. I'm good. I can leave now. Bye. <laughs> All right. So back. To, so back to murder. Like. <laughs> I'm sorry, like, no, no, we're talking about serious business, and it's weird that this isn't off the- this is- this is not so much not- this is mandatory. Blood is compulsory in- in video games, and I don't get how, you know, a bunch of other topics we have to, you know, do very gently. But- but stabbing guys. Yeah, no, that's fine. It really is. That's- it's what people want. True escapism through murder. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. Murder's never really been off the table in games. I mean, if you go back to tabletop gaming, I mean, you were doing that. You were doing murder in that too. Oh, I know. I mean, well, you were you were envisioning self, yourself as douche canoe the elf. No, well, I'm I'm gonna <laughs> jump all the way back to you know little wars and chess, right? Well, you look at to say chess, but people don't look at the chess pieces and go, "Man, murder!" No, no, I I make little noises when my pawns take guys. It's true, he does. I don't like playing chess with Scott. I also don't like playing Risk with Scott because I make little noises <laughs> or Battleship. Oh, you gotta make noises for Battleship. <laughs> Side note: Don't play Risk with Scott. 
Especially if you have, like, the fancy version of Risk where it's all the gods and goddesses. Because he just wants to be Lord of the Underworld, which means you just slaughter lots of people and then you take them all back. And you're like, haha, I have this huge undead army. Uh, I think we spent four hours fighting over who was Lord of the Underworld. I actually won. He was really pissed. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for that story. (laughs) You know what? You can be grumpy all you want. We're talking about murder. And you have a lot of murder in you, good sir. Yes, I understand that. I'm a murderous SOB. That's why I play video games. I'm just saying, I would like it if more video games that were going to stand up and say, oh, we're serious art, actually, maybe think about that a little more. I'm playing Far Cry again right now, so it's on my brain. (laughs) He's playing new Far Cry, which means, you know... There is plenty of discomfort uh, discomfort for mature conversations, such as cults! No! No. Far Cry 5 is going out of its way to not upset anyone. (laughs) That's actually disappointing, then, isn't it? Yeah, it's so disappointing. It is so disappointing that they're playing very sensitive about religion. Did you guys uh, play Binary Domain? I did, and I loved it. I loved it, too. It was a bit of a slow burn when it came out. I didn't remember many people talking about it. I myself only bought it on a whim when it was on sale at, I think, Blockbuster. It's made by Yakuza team. That was why I bought it. Oh. See, for for me, what was interesting about that game is um, you spend nearly the entire experience killing robots. um, And the, the way that they fall apart... Binary, what, what Trent's getting at is that binary domain is is in the uh, Philip K. Dick school of what is a robot, um, and then John was a, and then, no, no, John, you are the robots uh, school of sci-fi, and so the game goes out of its way to keep presenting the robots as people and showing their suffering. Yes. And near, yeah, so... near Auto Tomatoes goes to the same place, where it's like, oh, those... <laughs> Yeah. You can't say the word, it's fine. No, I, I refuse to say the <laughs> word now. I refuse. So it's like, oh, they're just machine life. You have to wipe them out for the glory of mankind. And, oh no, you're made out of them. Because you're well, the same. I, 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 I just, I like the fact that in in almost any other game, like I remember playing, um, gosh, what was that game that was released by Platinum Games and everyone's wearing jetpacks? Oh, Vanquish? Vanquish. I remember playing Vanquish, and it was just, it was action porn. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And there was there were there were no stakes to the copious amount of death to organic and non-organic beings that I I was committing. What are you talking um, about? The space Russians were gonna nuke something. I don't remember. The stakes were bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, but in in binary d- domain and near as well, it, it, there's a real question as to what constitutes life, and should you feel justified in killing what some would describe as being um, living objects? Right? Yeah. Yeah, it, that's that's a really good point, actually. Well, that that that's that's what we're saying is the blood is compulsory, right? You the the idea that your character runs around shooting guys is a must-have. You you must have you must have action and that action must be violent. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where going back to something like Undertale. I mean, I know the game is trying to like tell you you can be a pacifist if you want, but I find that gimmick a bit on the cheap side. 
I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm Mac and I are just cold, heartless people that we didn't love Undertale the way everybody else did. But yay, because I I I got really crusty with it towards the end, and I think it was just because here's a game that's promising you so much as an inv- an emotional investment, and yet you know again you have the choice you can kill things or not, but you feel like the benefit the the reward doesn't really pay off. Is that how you feel? Did you do the the non I did not. What I ended up doing, I watched a video. I'm not going to lie. I tried to do a non-killing playthrough because I actually, I accidentally killed one person at the beginning of the game and did the rest of the game entirely not killing anyone and then thought, oh man, I'm going to get the ending where I didn't kill anybody and then forgot I'd killed somebody at the beginning of the game. (laughs) So I admit my follies. Um, So I ended up watching the ending on YouTube um, out of curiosity because I thought that was what I wanted. And again, Maybe I'm just a cold-hearted monster, but I wanted to love the themes that Undertale was presenting about loneliness, friendship. I wanted to love all those things, but something still felt very hollow for me. And I think the gimmick of that final boss fight, I think was what did me in, because I think that's actually what took away a lot of what I was enjoying about the game. Because, you know, here's this murderous flower... And, you know, he wants everything destroyed. And it's like, okay, great. <laughs> I-, I could just let you win. I'm cool with that. I mean, <laughs> I think after the second time I died and then, like, it shut my game down, I was like, okay, I'm over this. I'm not going to lie. You can only deal with that so long before you want to feel the murder in your heart. <laughs> so, yeah, that game made me a little murderous towards the end. I'm not going to lie. I've definitely played plenty of games that made me want to kill something, but <laughs> I don't necessarily think that's what we're talking about here. No, no, but, I mean, again, like, when I think of mature content, I like it when it's about, when it makes me think. And I think violence can definitely be an interesting subject matter, depending on how it's framed. I mean, most RPGs, your logic is, you go and you kill the, the guys in front of you. Yeah. Um, well, they're full of they're full of treats. Yeah. They are full of treats. Those skags are going to bleed numbers and fart money at you when they die. There can be interesting interpretations of violence in games. Now, I mean, everybody rags on Mankind Divided, like Deus Ex Mankind Divided story, but I do want to mention I actually liked how robo racism was presented. Like, I thought it was an interesting concept that. I wish it was written a little better. Well, okay. But I think the way that the that violence definitely... is presented in that made for an interesting concept that just didn't quite have the best follow through. Because when we look at something like racism, you don't see that in a lot of games, and you don't see it presented in a way where well, okay, the big the big racism in the marketing of Mankind Divided was stupid. Oh God, it was, yes, it was it was big dumb stupid. But the fact that other cyborgs called Jensen wrench. They call him a wrench. Like he's a good little tool for the system. Yeah. Like, there is a slur cyborgs use to describe sl- cyborgs that aren't suffering for their cyborgness. That's See, real. The, the, this is a bit off topic because we're, we're kind of talking into like class dynamics a little bit, but yeah. I, I'll agree. I really liked the way that that world was built, even though arguably it's just like a a huge sandbox it's like a big neighborhood and it's segregated and there's police brutality 
and there are cults that believe that you could become one with robot god. I don't know. I, I, I appreciate the way that bigotry is handled in that because it is so systemic and it's yeah. very topical, especially in America today. However, I didn't really feel a lot of joy in that game killing people or killing robots. No, in fact, I'm with I you about that actually. It's it's one of the I I killed willy-nilly when I played uh um Human Revolution. I like I would I would pick up a bazooka. I would I would I would ruin someone's Tuesday basically. <laughs> but in Mankind Divided, there was just something about the atmosphere, and I didn't want to kill anyone. I, if there was a way for me to be non-lethal, silent, get in, get out, that's what I did. And I'd be disappointed if I ever had to fire any of the weapons that I had. See, you know? I would have loved to have done that, but I also know myself in that I'm not patient enough. <laughs> like, I just know my patience level. It's not there. But if I had the patience... I would have loved to have been able to do that with Mankind Divided because well, I, I do you, like that the presentation that it gives you. And well, the you way said the same thing is. about Undertale. You said you said, and these... I couldn't do it there either. Now no, could I? Yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying is that <laughs> the game punishes you for being nonviolent, and uh, that that's the crux of this blood is compulsory point I keep making. And we talk about race. It's it's always fantasy shit. It's always like, well, the elves don't like the orcs and. Well, maybe the elves are wrong. Let's talk it out. Don't be easy cartoon racist. Well, and that's where I think Mankind Divided does a decent job, depending on some of the quests. There are some el- there are some bits of it that someone thought out, and there are plenty no, there's of them bits. Some that, yes, where they did that, not There are some bits where it's just like, we're going to throw buzzwords at it, right? But you know what? I give the game a but, pass for trying. That, no, I, I, I would actually disagree with Scott entirely. I feel like, uh, granted, augmented humans aren't a real thing, but I feel like the scenario presented is absolutely realistic given that context. You have individuals uh, very much like mutants, where, and I'm only going to reference that because I love X-Men, yeah. <laughs> where in some respects, you know, they could be walking nuclear weapons, and you have a society that is right at that precipice of deciding, am I going to accept these people or not? And behind all the different sides with all the different voices are mysterious organizations pulling strings. That is the part of that plot that doesn't jive with me. Well, because the the trying, that- trying, to, trying to manipulate things from such a distance and being like, oh, this is exactly how I wanted things to turn out seems really unrealistic to me. The thing that seems really realistic to me is that you have augmented individuals who are fighting for common citizenry rights. And you have individuals who hate the system and are trying to rebel against it violently. And that is very human. Yeah, but... Step that back to the last game, literally, literally Deus Ex Three, and it's not race; it's class. That's the drive of it. It's you have enough money to make yourself better, so you get to be better. And if you fall behind on your payments, you can't pay for your anti-rejection drugs. Well, guess what? You live in the sewers, literally. That that's Deus Ex Three's point. Take on take on augmentation. And right, but the, it's the, cyber- the metaphor has a 
the metaphor evolved, though. Yeah, right? but it, it feels like a jump, and it's weird to see this spot-on classism and being cyberpunk as heck about it, and then having this, oh, no, no, no the, the real problem is we're going to... The, the writer's saying, no, no, we have to... We have to co-opt slogans from, you know, the headlines, and so... Okay, dear. Sam, no. This is Finish the show. It is your point. This is the show. It's, it's no, all lives matter, and not, you know, talking about 1%, you know, 1% 2.0 is the better analog, and it, it doesn't... It, that's, it's not that, though. Like, I, I think you're looking at this game through a different lens I, the the narrative being presented is these people have a different lifestyle it, it is very much uh the others versus us and that is the whole crux of the narrative it could be classism it could be racism but at the end of the day you have soldiers who were augmented to serve their country that are now outcasts you have individuals who are now addicted to a drug that only benefits augmented people. You have a society that has a, a wholly human, 100% pure um, police system that, you know, not only is brutal towards these individuals, but it takes advantage of them by creating like phony passports and that sort of thing to get you to different areas within one small city. And this city has this long history of being what was once the, the leading place for an augmented person to be where everyone was getting augmented. And those augmented people were, you know, developing this like futuristic utopia until this worldwide event took place and the public's opinion of augmented individuals changed so drastically that hate became violence. I think there's a lot of thought and energy and time that was poured into why that violence is taking place. And I think, I don't think death in that game is used cheaply. The only thing that I find to be kind of tacky about the game is that shadowy council aspect of it. And that's just my opinion. I know you have your opinion, well, but no, I, all the, I'm saying again, the shadowy council is person is pushing the class conflict in the other three games too. It's it's that one step too far to be like, oh no, it's it's no one's fault but the new world order and the Bilderbergs and the chemtrails and FEMA with their black helicopters. I, I just I, I guess I don't I don't understand why it's a knock from a storytelling perspective against the game that it's reflecting something that is topical in the real world right now. You know what I mean? Is is it just grabbing buzz words from headlines or is it trying to analyze real world cultural context? You know? I think like in terms of like the advertising that you see in that world, it is a little how do I phrase it? It's a little jarring at times. Um mm -hmm. and I get and I get why they did it. Like, it, there's this boldness to it. Like, they want you to pay attention like any ad would. But I think what I like about the world in Mankind Divided is that I am uncomfortable. I can see that people are getting the crap kicked out of them. I can see that those police are actually well, scary people. Well, the police are out to do it. And they're happy to announce as you walk by, Ooh, I want to kick me some shellheads today. Yeah. In and, English. And I... Again, as, as scary as that is, I think that 
you know what? If it can make me uncomfortable, then it's doing its job. Right. Like, it's not making me uncomfortable in the, ooh, I don't want to play this anymore. It's the, I'm uncomfortable, but I kind of need to see where this goes. Like, another yeah. game that did that for me at times was um, Alpha Protocol. Um, and the reason I bring Alpha Protocol up is there's one decision in that game that I remember, and it upset the hell out of me. And it's where you have the choice between saving the hot girl or saving all the people. Yep. And I remember saying to Scott how much I hated that decision because the female character was so vapid in the first place. Yeah, it needed more substance for that one to be as dramatic as it could have been. Like, I wanted the achievement where I slept with all the ladies, so I unfortunately did let everybody die. But, you know, like, well, the moral person... Is, <laughs> thank you, Mac. You, are, you and I the are the best. The blood is compulsory. Like, but me being the person that I am, I just remember even when I made that decision, I was like, I'm mad at myself. And Scott said to me, well, why? And I said, I just let a bunch of people die for a pair of tits. And she wasn't even good. Like, she was a horrible person. Like, she ended up being this horrible, vapid, manipulative person. And I looked at it and I'm like, I have massive regrets now. Just just a lot. I killed a bunch of people for sex. <laughs> for video game sex. For video game sex. Um, but I think if that de- decision had been played a little bit better, I think I would have had more of an emotional investment. Because I think that that game, I think it was trying to do something with some of the decisions that you made, but some of them felt, it felt like the impact should have been bigger than it was. Um, I think the only decisions that, you know, I made that were good was anything involving C. Oh, okay. But that, that's it. And we have this idea that, you know, games try to use fake analogies to present race in interesting ways. And you, the metaphor happens almost organically with Krogan's in Mass Effect, right? That, that, you know, these guys have been, you know, they, they deserve the suffering they got because they're, they're not evolved enough to not murder each other and everyone else. So we had to ruin everything kind of about, we, we had to, we had to ruining everything about them because they were going to wreck the galaxy. And it's, and I think someone calls out, someone calls out Drac for making everything about being a Krogan. And I'm like, no! Everything about him is, Everything about Drax's life sucks because he's Krogan. <laughs> I just think back to Lady Krogan in 3 and how she's like, you know why the species doesn't succeed? Have you taken a Krogans. look at these guys? <laughs> well, yeah. okay. and that, and that, I loved her. Yeah, She okay. was one of the few good things about Mass Effect 3. I said it. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm right with you there. I'm right with you on that. To have, you know, Krogan women being the ones running around saying, no, we're idiots. They're all idiots. Can't do it. I can't deal. I don't blame you. <laughs> like Drax's granddaughter's kind of on the same page, where it's like, Grandpa, stop being a crazy old man. But you know, I think that brings up an interesting topic for uh, an interesting conversation for mature content as well. I mean, um, whenever you see genocide in games, it always is such a touchy subject matter. Or it's an achievement. Or it's an achievement. <laughs> hilariously. Um, you know, and I think in Mass Effect 3, when you're dealing with the Krogan mating crisis, I think there's a lot of interesting discussion about the idea of saving a species or letting it rot to die. And I think that the decisions that you can make, you know, I mean, they're, they're kind of horrific. <laughs> there's, there's no good way to deal with that. 
And I mean, I just remember playing it and being like, you know, I totally get where you're coming from, girlfriend, but I kind of also like your species, despite how dumb they actually are. So we're saving species. I mean, but I could totally see the argument for not saving their species. They're also incredibly dumb. So, but I, I think the 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 better is um, what, what what was that species that was extremely violent in Mass Effect One that if you chose to save could then come back in Mass Effect Three? Oh, the Rachni. The Rachni. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's a more dynamic choice because yeah. your only exposure to them as a player is them trying to kill you. And there's a very um, a xenomorph element to them where your instincts are, these are monstrous creatures. Perhaps the universe would be better without them. But um, because I can't make a choice that is dark side in a, a, a more game to save my life, I chose to save them, um, and I was so happy that I did, because the, the idea that maybe there is more nuance to these beings, or maybe maybe there's something else there, I, I think is an important discussion. Um, to Scott's point, too often in these games, we're presented with creatures that are trying to kill us, and then we just think, oh, well, I better kill them before they kill me. Um, and not enough are we presented with um anything to suggest that they might be trying to kill us for a reason uh and it might not be their fault or if it is it's you know congrats you you've now you've now murdered enough things to learn the second act plot twist where it was no no it was the man in the hat from the bar at the beginning you should stab him now ah <laughs> uh, yes the persona 4 twist yeah <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, Persona 4 at least presents you with a version where, no, no, you're pretty much right to do everything so far. And then at the end, it's like, ah, one more thing. See that guy? That guy's like ancient god messing with your TV. Yep. (laughs) I will say. Yeah, I was prepared for that ending, but um, it was something. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think Persona 4 has some interesting discussions about violence though i mean if you look at a character like adachi and you know his desire to just plunge the world into death because he was bored is kind of an interesting argument well no i think i, think I loved that, adachi no he's, he's just he's just a cartoon he's just a cartoon he's, he's a he's a sociopath and that is how sociopaths think yeah, yeah. It, but it's it's like every other is, jam- is that an interesting argument sam no what are you I suggesting think he's about inter- yourself <laughs> I think Adachi can be interesting. It's JRPG antagonist. The world is suffering. End world. I don't know. I have this thing about villains who have no good motivations. And I mean, you look at Adachi and he's just like, I'm bored. I figured out there was a TV world and I could just throw people in it. And you know what? It felt good. But you know what? I made you play the existential crisis game. Because it was fun to watch you guys learn about yourselves and then realize how annoying that is. <laughs> let's, let's, yeah. let's be real. The discussions that the Persona games have on things like LGBT rights, they're kind of touchy. Um, kind let's, of. Let's look at Ryuji from Persona 5, Captain Homophobe himself. No. Okay. Never mind. Never mind that. Never mind the homophobia of Japan. Let's. I know. I can't fix them on that. No, we can't. I, y'all, they all need Jesus. I don't know. I don't but, think that's how that works, dear. 
But if you're if you're talking about sexuality and just frank sexuality, well, it's either non-existent or it's an achievement. Sam saved so a character she found boring for a makeout scene. I did. Respect. Call callbacks. <laughs> Thank you, dear. But I'm just saying that th- this is it. It's uh, and we we did an episode about romance and sex. Um, We're not going there again. Way way back. Um, it's Forever it's ago. a good one. It's you should you should give us five stars on iTunes for it. I do want to pick an area that we kind of haven't talked about. We've mentioned it, but how many RPGs are out there? Do you find deal with mental illness in a way that's not deplorable? Well, okay. Um... <laughs> Depends There's, on your definition of RPG. Well, well that's what I'm, I want to know. Like, based well, on stuff we cover, how's that? In Fallout, addiction is a <laughs> addiction is a character flaw that you develop by consuming things you're supposed to because they make you awesome in the game. Are you addicted to Jet, dear? I am addicted to Jet. Is what I'm coming back around to. It's. Uh, it's... Are you seeing visions? <laughs> No. Can you predict the future? Have you developed did, did the wild, wild west? The weird wild west come after you in your sleep? No. Well, a <laughs> did the bears high five? The bears high five, but never. But what? That's what I'm saying is, if we're talking about mental illness, we have sanity meters and we have addiction meters, and it's again, it it's this really basic binary: you get a chivo or you don't, and. When we talk, and uh, addiction comes to my head first, but again, even other more, other less dramatic uh, mental illness just is kind of played, is just, is it's kind of played for points. It's like, hey, we should deal with, you know, we, we should maybe have, you know, a thing where this character is depressed. And so... Futaba. Futaba has some sort of anxiety. And she's social anxiety. Well, she she had they they I'm not gonna pathologize her because not a pro, it's a fictional character. No, I know. And but that's I'm, I'm gonna go out of my way to say, I hate it when fans pathologize fictional characters. You're not professionals. And they're Fair. fictional. So <laughs> So no Batman doesn't have PTSD. Uh <laughs> so there. But no, I mean like well... <laughs> well, that's you're not a professional, Bruce Wayne's made up. <laughs> it's debatable. Um, but that's that's it. So we get Futaba, who has anxiety, and because that game emphasizes character connections and slow development, at least we see this really deliberate, if childish, attempt at self improvement. And I mean childish from because the character is fourteen. Not like the writers have a childless understanding of Jungian psychology. I'm, I'm saying that, you know, this kid, it's like, I'm going to get better. So I set up quests because that's my analogy for life. Yeah. And the quest is let's go to Akihabara so that I can try to talk to the clerk at the store. Yeah. And, you know, those baby <laughs> but, steps, they're kind of darling. You look at her and you go, no, she's trying. But again, there are so many other games where. And I, I mean, Futaba is actually one of the good examples, but it, there's so many other games where it's just like, yeah, um, you know, I, I, this character's crazy. You, you, you don't, you don't have to listen to crazy guy. Like, okay, so so far, what we've talked about are um, heroic characters, or perhaps um, 
characters that are interact with during a quest. I think the reality, the unfortunate reality, not just about role playing games, but uh, but video games in general is uh, mental illness is usually associated with antagonists. Yes. Yeah. You know, and and major antagonists at that. The the easiest one that comes to mind for me is Kefka from Final Fantasy VI. Yes. Um, yeah. Who was so insane uh, that he decided that the world would be better if it didn't exist. <laughs> However, you kind of have to applaud the fact that he succeeded in ruining the world where so many antagonists had failed. <laughs> I mean, he defeated a bunch of teenagers with pure hearts and unclear goals. The most unstoppable yeah, but, force but, in the universe. Well, and usually it is, but the fact the fact that they they lost and he destroyed the world and then there was a cult dedicated to him, it speaks volumes, right? Very true. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's really unfortunate because uh, I mean, Adachi is a good example of this as well. But more often than not, when we're talking about mental illness in video games, we're talking about the characterization of a villain, usually a primary villain, um, as some sort of rationale for why they're insane or why they have this horrific outlook towards life and humanity, um, which I think is insulting in a lot of respects. We don't have nearly enough uh, positive characters, maybe not necessarily positive, but characters who are able to adapt to the fact that they have a mental illness. You you want to see functioning characters yes yes you want i want to see people who have for instance general anxiety disorder and it has an impact on their effectiveness as a hero but it doesn't stop them from being a hero you know and it's not the the whole point and it's not the whole point of the game either like depression quest where it's you're gonna get you're gonna leave your room today yeah so i want to bring up a character that fits the mold that you're talking about trent in Tales of Graces is a character named Sharia Barnes. Sharia is the healer of your group in that game, and she she was a kid who had an actual invisible illness. She's somebody who has this illness that they couldn't cure, and she decides that despite the fact that it takes a toll on her, and you see her throughout the game coughing, struggling to sort of stay afloat, but she has a good attitude about it. And what's her life's goal? She wants to be a nurse. She wants to help people. Yeah. And you look at that and you go, here's this person with a debilitating disease. And it gets her down. It makes her feel depressed throughout the game. You know? And she has the motivation to keep going. She has the motivation that she knows that she has all these people that rely on her. And you see throughout the game her constantly growing. You're seeing her see that when she's feeling depressed, like, I'm not useful. I'm... I can't help the way that I want to help because I know I'm being held back, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, she'll meet somebody and she's like, no, I need to help this person. You don't get a lot of characters like that. And I mean, Sherry is the character that everyone kind of rags on as being really pathetic. And Mm -hmm. I think she's far better than that idiot Pascal. Um, Pascal is just a painful character in my eyes, but she's trying to overcome something. She has something to prove. And I like the way that they handled her character in Tales of Graces because I think um, she gets the most growth out of all the characters. And we need more positive, like, positive representations of illness. And I think that's one of the few that's out there, along with characters like Futaba, where they're trying to show that it can't 
eat you alive. That you can you can get through it. And and I I want realism as well. You know, I want I want people to be challenged by these things because they are challenging. Yeah. But I I want there to be meaning there. Um, Absolutely. I know that we're. We're, we're definitely off topic because we've no, been no, talking no, about this. Is, well, no, this is it. This this was our episode where it's like, let's get reels. And, you know. Like, it's not an RPG, but um, have any of you played Life is Strange or Life is Strange Before the Storm? Uh, um, the first one. Okay. I want to. It's down. So Life is Strange <laughs> um, is one of, especially Before the Storm in particular, is one of the best examples I've ever seen of a video game handling the subject of grief. So... Most of you know, I lost my parents at very young age. Well, as young as you can be. And when I played Before the Storm, I connected with Chloe so much because she's dealing with the death of her dad in that story. And she's dealing with the fact that her mom is trying to move on from her dad. Um, and she gets visions of her dad and the way in which their life was before this other guy showed up. Um and Chloe is a character that you you can connect with and you can understand her feelings. And I know for me, when I was playing that game, I knew what she was going through. I knew the kind of behavior she was portraying, the way that she was acting out, the way in which she couldn't control any of her feelings because grief is this monster that makes you feel every single emotion at once, from happiness to sadness to anger to frustration to greed to everything. And it's... <laughs> And I just know that, like, we need more games like that that are able to talk about it. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate when there's a sense of uh, genuineness to the dialogue. But I think in order to have that, you need um, a collaboration between creators who really understand those things at a fundamental level. Well, um, absolutely. And I, I think that is a case where that is 100% oh, and, and And this is the part where we question the premise, where... Games are kind of, like, I go to games to be toys. Like, I, I'm just looking to amuse myself more often than not. And, yeah, I'm, I, I will go out of my way to praise games that are thoughtful in how they amuse me. But at the same time, Sam did not take that last example well, as she was saying it. No, I didn't, but I'm okay. <laughs> and so I'm sitting here saying, is there a line where it's too real? And is there a duty to maybe say that up front? Like, I'm sure there are plenty of people who... Actually, here, here's a great example that's pretty harmless. I've got a buddy of mine who can't finish Dragon Age 1 because there are spiders in it. Ah, okay. And they're... they're yeah, you, ha you have to fight big spiders in Dragon Age 1, and so he can't. And what sort of responsibility is it on you to, when you're tackling something that is the real deal, to say so? To say that, hey, this game is about... This game is about trauma. This game is about illness. We're not going to be shy about it. We're not going to joke about it. This is what we're doing. Um... I, I think everyone's mileage is going to vary on this. Uh, there are some people that I'm sure would like to be warned in advance because maybe they don't want to revisit certain things that happen in their life. Um, my perspective, and I'm sure not everyone will agree, is when you have things that make you uncomfortable, they're going to continue to make you uncomfortable until you kind of deal with them. So, I don't know. I... 
it might it sounds a little bit controversial i guess but i, I don't i don't think putting trigger warnings in front of media really does a service to people it just encourages them to avoid the things that already make them uncomfortable well i think well that that's it i don't want to say like i hate trigger warning is a real term that got used for stupid for right. many years and i do think which is why I talk about content warnings or disclaimers, because it's a little more neutral, value neutral, I'll say. And I'm like, yeah. so straight up saying, hey, this game deals with with this topic. Front, back of the box, loading screen, something. And if you're at a stage where you've actually talked to a professional and dealt and are trying to confront this, yeah, yeah, a little bit of that's that of stepping into the magic circle of the game and saying, no, I'm ready to maybe confront what a bunch of French guys pretending to write high school girls in California, Oregon, Oregon, uh, have to say about trauma. You're pointing a finger at me, dear. No, I'm pointing a finger at, <laughs> I'm pointing a finger at, uh, don't nod. Uh, in this case, that, that one was made by Deck Nine, dear. <laughs> different, I... different people. Okay. You know, you do make a fair point. Um, just to preface, I was in therapy for a while, and that's partially why I put aside uh, Before the Storm. I loved the original Life is Strange. I loved the way I felt when I was playing it, and I loved that it left me constantly thinking about just a lot of different realities. I mean, in one of the visions, Chloe's disabled. She's in a wheelchair. She can't move, you know, and you have to talk to her in that state and it's it is painful so i knew talking from talking to one of my girlfriends that um i couldn't play before the storm until i had actually dealt with some of my grief and even even now playing having played it um it left me feeling pretty raw but i don't i don't regret playing it if anything it was great to see a representation of myself um, in a character and being able to understand exactly what they were going through and just wanting to be able to reach out to the screen and say, I get you, I'm here. And obviously it's a video game, you can't do that. But I appreciate that the message was there. Yeah. I think there's real value to feeling that rawness, but um, I don't. I don't think it's fair to expect that everyone... Um, be stepping up to that that plate as well. You know, no, God, I, I, no. <laughs> I, can, I, I can completely understand why people would want to avoid revisiting things that are particularly hard for them. Um, it's just, I, I've done the counseling thing myself, and I've learned from my personal experience that I, I can't comfortably avoid the things that keep me up and make me stressed. You know, I have to get to a point where I can take things as they are and move forward with them. Uh, and I think sometimes when these things are crafted in a thoughtful way, and um, I, I'm going to point to, um, oh gosh, what is, layers of fear. I'm going to point to layers of fear. Oh, that's um, a good one about addiction, actually. That's a good one about addiction. Well, um, I think it's a good one on a few levels. Well, I, I mentioned the addiction first, because that's the first problem with the protagonist they introduce. 
Do you? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's introduced, or at least it's kind of, it's uh, hinted at early, certainly. But I think it, if you look at him, like, the, the addiction is more to his art than it is the fact that he has a, a drinking problem. You know what I mean? Like, it's, and there, that came says quite a bit about um, his perspective on his wife and, and what he thought was really valuable and, I don't know. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about that game, actually. <laughs> uh, but but I think I, I want to point to that because the the way that he deals with trauma and the repetition, um, I'm sure, is very real for a lot of people. Uh, and I can't encourage people to to play that if it's going to make them uncomfortable. But I liked how it made me uncomfortable, and I liked how thought provoking it was. And I think we need more games that are willing to make people feel a bit unnerved, a bit raw, because I think there's real storytelling storytelling value to that. There, it, it presents something that we don't always see in fiction. Yeah, and there, there, there's something to be said for video games as a particularly effective tool for empathy. Because, again, as much as uh, layers of fear... Now, if that, were, if that were true, we wouldn't have Gamergate. Well, okay... <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure a bunch of goober gripers were not going to play Layers of Fear because there's no zombie shooting in it. <laughs> All you do is walk around this creepy house and you can't punch nothing. I've heard that complaint. Oh, I know, I know. But no, lay- Layers of Fear is um, another good one where it, it is... Um, it is take Because it's putting you, the player, in the role of someone who has done so much irreparable damage to his life out of something that starts out kind of, you know, kind of benign and manageable. You know, just this idea of art block and stress. It's it's like, oh yeah, get over that. Shake that off, Sonny. And then it's like... But, well, I, th- I think what I really appreciate about that situation is that um, you get the sense that the idea is as an extremely creative person, and this was kind of doubled down in the DLC content, but as an extremely creative person, he was always walking the line between sanity uh, and insanity, right? Yeah. And life stressors, like the, the, a, a fire taking place in the household, the disfigurement of his wife, who maybe he fell in love with because of her ability to play piano, Maybe he fell in love with because of her beautiful face. Either way, she's disfigured now. She is disabled now. She can't do either. Trying to deal with the fact that he is on the brink of insanity and the fact that he has all of these horrible life events happening to him, I, I don't know. Like it, it's, it, it works for me because this could happen to someone. Well, it, this could be someone's life. Yeah, no, and that's it. It's it's if you're gonna do it, do it for real, and you know, don't just have you know the rambling crazy NPC who's rambling and crazy and right. Ah, shucks, a shtick, a character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, there was thought put into motivation, and I think anytime people are are actively examining motivation, I think we're doing something right. So, I mean, we've returned to our central thesis of game writers, do more gooder. So I think that's time for us to wind it down. But do you have any final thoughts, Mac? 
I just appreciate when games do attempt to tackle this mature content in a way that's natural and genuine. And it's it's so rare that you see that these days. It's hard to point out great examples, but it's appreciated when it does. Sam? Um, I, again, I am the queen of loving tough subject matters. Uh, as a librarian, um, a lot of the stuff that I do uh, falls in the realm of young adult, and a lot of young adults is pushing towards tougher subject matters. So I'm happy when I see video games doing that as well. Um, just as a recent example, Yakuza 6 deals with a very young pregnancy, and it's handled beautifully. And I encourage people to go play Yakuza 6, if just to see how issues of family, teen pregnancy, and all that good stuff is handled. And also hitting people in the face with a bicycle. Well, yeah. The, the <laughs> most mature and serious thing Plus, of, of uh, modern times. And the greatest minigame ever of making baby Haruto not, Haruto not cry. Do you have to go hit dingers? No, there's no hitting dingers. It's mostly just shaking him up and down and hoping you don't break him. Orphans ruin Yakuza games. But you know what? Again, there are so many subject matters out there that I think a lot of games are afraid to touch. And I think that's why violence always is the default. I hope that games start to look at other subject matters and do them tastefully. (laughs) Because it's rare to find any kind of media out there that does a good job of showcasing various issues. Sexual assault, um you know, slut-shaming, race, in a way that is appropriate and informative. We need more of that. Trent? I'm going to say that I'm always going to have time for shooting bandits in the head in Borderlands and watching their heads explode like grapefruit. And I'm always going to have time for killing thousands upon thousands of Chinese people in Dynasty Warriors. Um, Some of them are Mongols, though. Some of, them, Some of them are Mongols. This is true, um, but they I can't think mention that. It's it's about the context, and I think if you're going to present death and murder in a serious way, there needs to be a lot of thought. You can't go halfway. You have to go all the way. And I think if you're going to present it in a comedic way or in a way that's really lighthearted, that's fine too. I think there's the difference is is the temporal happiness that you might get uh, or the, the sense of instant gratification for being good at killing something. Um, and certainly there are negatives to that. Like I get concerned when I hear of 13 year olds who are really good at killing people in call of duty, uh, not to sound like a worried parent or anything, but at the same time, I think the better way to go about death in any game or in any story is to put time and effort into who died, why did they die, how did it happen, what were the motivations, like put some real thought into it. Don't kill people if there isn't meaning unless the point of the experience is meaningless fun. Well, I'm going to point at Borderlands 2 where, yeah, bandits, they explode, they bleed numbers and you know, spit out money afterwards. It's a lot of fun. It, it's a, it's great fun, but that game also tackles gender pretty pretty savvily. Uh, they tack they they did a whole DLC about grief that you know got me right here in my cold black withered chest parts. 
But which DLC is that? Uh, Assault on Dragon Keep. Uh, I had feelings in the Tales from the Borderlands when the Catcher-Ride Man died. <laughs> you you mean Telltale oh. manipulated you emotionally? Yeah. But that that bit was just Catcher-Ride, and he went into the sky, and it was really sad. <laughs> and I know nothing about Borderlands, and I still had feelings. <laughs> Oh, I love the scooter. I'm, I'm, Is that his name? I'm playing Borderlands right now. <laughs> That's because Tail. because Tales from the Borderlands is the best. It really That's is. Why. Yeah. So yeah, but that that's it. It's they they said shooting bandits is fun. Uh making fun of ladies not fun. Let's talk about that. And real badass can do both. Explosions. Guitar solo. Mr. Torg Ow. is great. Thank you, Mr. Torg fanboy. Mr. Torg, Torg oh, Flexington, Torg, Torg Flexington oh, is great. Torg's relationship with his grandmother, I love it so much. I have so much time for Torg. I want to knit with him. <laughs> so hey, uh, we're gonna roll into feedback in just a tick. But again, gotta remind you that this is brought to you by GameFly. It streams a massive library of games. Right uh, straight at your machine, uh, either through a smart TV or an Android box, and they're supporting more and more devices all the time. The library keeps growing. You just have to hit the uh, trial offer URL, which is gameflyoffer.com slash rpgamer, to try absolutely anything. They've got Switch games now. They've got 3DS games somehow. But if I was going to recommend anything... You know, we threw a lot of names out, but Yakuza 6 is really good. That's a, that's a good, serious-ish old man game. Try that out. Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, I guess feedback, because we'll have to do it twice. You will, it'll be all new to you. So our last episode we actually released, as opposed to confined to the recycle bin for all eternity, Whoops. was our Q&A episode. Whoops. And uh, Severin, uh, my quasi-boss? I'm not the boss. I don't know who's the boss of me anymore. We're all the we're all the boss of you. Okay. Well, your wife is the boss of you, unfortunately. All right. Well, he. It's true. You can't see it, but Scott's got sadness in yeah. his eyes. Well, anyway, he <laughs> he he was just pointing out that you know, the uh, just just his reminiscences of when he was interviewed for a job here and had to pronounce wise. Uh. <laughs> oh God. And also that um. He was pretty happy playing Final Fantasy VIII as a balanced game where you used all your abilities and resources and then got told Lame. he was doing it wrong and had to break yeah. it. That's not yeah, the Mac way to, of playing you, the you game, have to, Alex. You have to break it. The, the only way is to break. So much more fun when you do. It is. It is. It's quite a bit of fun, actually. I think Final Fantasy VIII's cool for breaking because you have it breaks seven ways. Like, you have to break it seven different ways, and then you just feel like you're running around with all the powers on. As a god. Yeah, you've, As got, a god. you've got all the cheat codes on, but you didn't do any cheat codes. You just had to sit there drawing magic for a whole disc. <laughs> Woo! But I think, I think that's what makes Final Fantasy VIII's breakability so compelling, as opposed to um, certain other games... Uh, Whatever, whatever Vigester goes on about, like, just, just spamming the one attack that works, or just using these two perks together, and then, oh, look at that, aren't you great? Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, so, uh, hey, uh, hit us up on the forums if for what you have to say about mature subject matter. You can find us all on Twitter. And until next time. Yay. Later. Later. Rock on. Guitar solo. Now, now remember, <laughs> sweetheart, what are you going to do? Explosions? Not break Save. it this time. Yeah. Save this project. Oh, well, this was a better podcast than the last one, anyhow. Yep. Yeah. I did save the project, and then I was like, you know what I should do? I should delete all my project files, because I keep letting my project files pile up. Oh, man, that's Bonk. 70 gigs of project files I deleted. Don't I feel good? And then, Oh, wait. The Active Topical Banter Show is an RP Gamer production. Visit rpgamer.com for past episodes, comments, sections, other great podcasts, as well as piles upon piles of written content. All music is courtesy of ocremix.com, composed by Nobuo Oimatsu. Thank you for listening. I hate it when people move. I know, right? Yeah. I also hate stupid people, but you know. Stupid people are stupid. I can't get over it, Mac. I can't believe a guy called me unprofessional. <laughs> Who called you unprofessional? Some twat on the uh, forums. <laughs> they, told me, yep. they told me my Yakuza 6 review was awful and very unprofessional. No. Tell him exactly what he said. I can't remember the exact wording right now. It was something really stupid. Yeah, it was that your logic behind scoring the gameplay, just the gameplay, was game A didn't do things like game B, so points knocked off. I don't consider that professional journalism. That was what it was. Game A is the last game in the franchise. The one from five months ago. Yeah. It's not like you're comparing Zelda to Pokemon. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. Good night, people. Get a grip. Mic drop. I just, I had a laugh. I saw that at work and I was like, I love that Mac and Scott have already basically stated that this person's an idiot. I don't need to do that today. Because I've had my hand of idiots today. <laughs> Agreed. I love you like for it. I, I haven't had a chance to check out your review yet. Did you enjoy the game? I did. That was the, that, that was the sad part. I gave it four out of five. <laughs> oh. See, I, I've only played Dead Souls. And that's I, the worst one. Right. And I've I told really you that. Even... <laughs> <laughs> you played the I, wrong one. I, I think uh, Yakuza 4, maybe, was a PS Plus game ages ago. And yeah. I had that for PS3. Um, but I only played about a couple hours of it. I think I, I'm not really into like the third-person adventure games personally, so it just wasn't my shtick. But it's an interesting franchise. I think I would be interested in checking it out if I had more time. I think he. Was, That's kind of how I feel. Yeah, it's an. Yeah. I think he was upset because I scored the battle system slightly lower than the previous ones. But the problem is, Zero and Koimi use the same battle system. And it's like the series had hit perfection and there was no need to tweak the battle system. And what they did was they went back to Yakuza 1 and 2 where but, it, it but was a lot stiffer. Um, 
Isn't Yakuza Kawini like a remake of It's a one? remake of one, but I'm talking like it went back to PS2 Yakuza 1. Where it's more, it's, there's not as much flexibility compared to what the last two had done. Sure. So it's like, no, this is a fair complaint. I'm sorry. Like, the combat system is not as strong as the previous two. And when yeah. you do perfection. You felt like, you felt like it was like a step back. It was. Then. Very much. And that's yeah. what I said, basically, was. And Yakuza 6 is the brand new original game. Yep. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the people. This is the same person that said that if we were to ever give a Souls game, like Game of the Decade, that we would have lost all credibility with him. Are so, we? Are we sure? So we're going to do guy, that, right? Well, <laughs> we have to check. Are we sure this guy's not an otter? I have oh my one. Gosh. Otter really, will never escape. <laughs> no, we can't I escape have, him. Seriously. I have thought about that, but the only bait so. I could toss out there would be something about Final Fantasy VIII. That usually draws him out. <laughs> well, I, I just figured we... Final Fantasy VIII? He loves Final Fantasy VIII. He's no wrong in so, it. Uh, I think, or we, I, I just thought we'd try to ring up his IP, and if it's, you know, Central Texas again, dunk. Yeah, somebody should check that, I don't know. We probably can. But... I, can dig I know what his IP is. Yeah, it's it's Central Texas. <laughs> I remember when I did that preview for the Elder Scrolls Online, and I wasn't nice at all in the preview because it um, wasn't worth being nice to. Well, I mean, it's it's a different game today than it was when it first released. When it first released, it was like paid subscription, and there was barely anything to it, and the looting just wasn't. It didn't make sense for playing with the party, but questing by yourself didn't make sense either. I, it was just kind of a game that didn't know what it wanted to be, and it wasn't... It just wasn't that great. Um, so I, I wasn't the kindest to it, but I remember we got the code from this, like... It was like a middleman. Mac, you might remember this. It was like a PR agency that was representing ZeniMax online. Yeah. And an this guy was... Help? This guy was from, like, a very specific part of a very specific state, I think I remember. And as soon as it was posted, this account was created. And I think the only post it ever made was the rebuttal to mine. And the IP was from that exact location. So yeah. I hate, I hate the fact that there are firms out there that do, like, guerrilla PR in forums. Yeah. Well, that, that astroturfing bullshit, right? Yeah. It's not acceptable, but here we are. Well, of course it's not acceptable, but this is like the world we live in. Do you, do you guys remember like the Driver 3 controversy? Oh yeah. yeah. Friggin' they they scrubbed the internet after that fiasco. Oh yeah. It was a big SOS pad just ringing it clean. But before yeah. like poor Mac needs rest. I love you Mac. Right. Let's talk Hi. about Unadulterated content. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about boobs! Well, no. Oh. We're not going to repeat last time, and I'll, I'll explain why. Why can't we talk 
about mature content that is breasts. Look, we're gonna do, we're gonna revisit that episode so it is not lost forever, but it might so not Scott be. Scott doesn't want me to talk about breasts, and let me tell you, I can have the best conversations about tits uh, as the female you, person you, here. As a, aside right. the fact that I have I just promised boobs, you we'd come back to, the, the fact to that. Despite the that I have ginormous <sighs> boobs. Scott almost fell out of his chair, so that's not good. It's fine. <laughs> All right, we're not talking about boobs anymore. I'm kind of worried that my husband's going to well, die I'm, to this chair. I, I just told you we'd do it again! <laughs> and you almost just fell out of your chair, and I was concerned for your well-being, so I stopped talking about boobs. Yeah. You're a little slow on the uptake, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm slow. I said we'd do it, and you said, <laughs> no, we have to do it. Yeah, I, and okay, then you so almost I... fell out of your chair, so... Feelings. So I guess where we're getting at is the last episode is lost in time. Yeah. <laughs> Scott. Yeah. Hey, Scott. Yeah. Guess where a trace route ends up landing this IP address? Where? Texas. Ban him. <laughs> so it actually might, in fact, be our special friend. I want somebody else to ban him. I want to. I want to see if Paws wants to try to bait him out, too. Oh, my God. That's, Give it to her. I don't get it. Like, why would anyone... Because... Why? Why would you continue to go back hatred. to this site? That's... I don't get people. Like... He, well, he has just... Like, 22... Ten... Like, 24243224? Same neighborhood? 242232224? Oh! Ha! 202? Send it to is pause it the exact right same? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Send it to pause. Tell her, like, already party. No. <laughs> I, I'm just, well, I'm going to edit. I'm, I'm going to find him, and I'm just going to edit his profile. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to be, Scott, are you going to put special snowflake? Because he's got oh. Illinois listed. Yeah. Which is interesting. Oh, yeah, no, you can just you pick anything. Just, just okay. edit his profile so it says Otter Town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otter Town. <laughs> Otter face. Artie party sucks. He's making up his own totally otter land. Totally otter. Just do do give pause a heads up. Yeah. Because you know. I already have. Okay. She wants. uh, She wanted me to give Barry a heads up, Cassandra, so that she knows. (laughs) Okay. So we've now changed it to. By the way, this biography. Totally otter land. (laughs) Location: sock puppet theater. (laughs) Interests: trolling. Credibility police credibility policing. Uh, you spelled policing wrong, baby. Credibility police. I don't. I don't get it. Why? Why would you continue to return to this? He website? has a really bad hang-up on this site, and this dates back to you know when um, Misty there, Mistyana was the owner. He hated Mistyana. Like, just, and it kind of just went from there to, like, things with paws and... And then he just started going after staff for shits and giggles. Well, he he has had a mild hate on for Sam. Yes. So, uh... uh usually a lot of the time he references that I'm a knock and that, um... Why? I shouldn't be allowed to write reviews because my vagina dictates how things work. Yeah. <laughs> He wrote that on the so RPG you... fan forums, actually, and I found it. And then uh, John, who works for RPG fan, 
He was like, oh, oh, this hurt. Oh. Let me get him. He's like, yeah, I-, I come to defend your honor, Sam. It's fine. <laughs> I was like, thank you, John. I love you. Because, you know, John's my bro. <laughs> and, he d- and they don't like him either. And they've banned him I don't know how many times. Yeah. So um, there's something about our two sites that just he's, I don't know. He's a crazy person. Yeah. Now, where did you have his IP address from before? Uh, I I pulled up the last time Otter Otter got banned, and in the mod queue it says banned for having this IP. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, did Pause get back to you already, Mac? She just said to tell Barry. Yeah. That way, she can take care of it. It's technically Barry's job. Yep. But did she freak out? Pause. No. She it was just, just. Oh God. Oh yeah, it was about time. Just uh, yet another trip down memory lane. So good to know. I'm surprised, like, we're not going to now see Post goes, Hey, Otter, how's it going? How's it going? <laughs> Let's start our podcast. I don't know why he has a mild hate for me, Scott. Have you figured it out? I think uh, you stepped on something he liked early on. Oh, and then I told him he was a fucking moron. Yes, that's what right. happened. Right. That was the other comment is, ladies are not supposed to say uh, how they feel. Yeah. So, yeah. And the weird thing is, you know, this guy's a, a gay furry, but, you know, women are bad. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. Like, he would just say all kinds of shit like that at, like, me and Anna. And, ugh. and it's just like, oh, so you don't like ladies, ladies who are vocal. Okay. No wonder. It's cool. It's not. And, like, we should have caught this a little sooner. I him a lot sooner, but again, he wasn't attacking staff, and that's usually when he shows up. And then Yakuza 6 happened, and yeah. he attacked me, so... Alright, so I'm go. just gonna count this sucker down. Yep. Alright, uh, three, two, one...